If it's his breath, then we ought to use that breath for his praise and for his glory. Forever known in First Baptist Huntington now as the lung song, okay? And Brother Barry, if you have to use your yeah, inhaler, then do that, okay? Not all of the circumstances that we pass through in our lives, not all the decisions we make uh, are of equal significance. There are some circumstances and there are some decisions that have greater impact than others. Um, in God's one big story, as we've been looking in 2019, of the story of the Bible, and we have passed through primarily, we'll finish this morning the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you remember, we've chronologically, we've inserted the book of Job in there about Genesis chapter 11. All of those first five books other than Job were written by Moses. We're going to conclude the sermon this morning by closing the chapter on Moses. One of the things we've noticed is that God's one big story is not a straight line narrative. <laughs> it's not that it's this simple story that goes from step A to B to C Actually, what we've seen is that there are curves in the road. We would say in uh, East Texas, there were times we got off into the bar ditch. Um, there are ups and there are downs. It's not a straight line narrative. And there are some moments, there are some experiences, there are some decisions that have greater impact than others. Uh, we could call them pivotal moments. Pivotal, pivotal moments. Uh, in life have significant consequences. Whether it's good or it's bad. I, I don't know that we always know the circumstances and the decisions that we make that they are going always to be pivotal. Maybe sometimes we sense in a particular moment in our life we go, this is critical. And so when we, we look to God's Word and we see His one big story, there are, there are stories obviously throughout in the narrative, but there are some stories that change the direction of the world and life. And this morning we come to one of those. And what happens in the midst of 40 days, the circumstances of God's people are changed for 40 years. 40 days changes the next 40 years. That may not make sense to you, may not make sense to me, but the reality is, is what is true in the life of Israel is also true in our lives. 
there are, there are pivotal moments that you go, wait a second, should this really set the course of my life for the next 40 years? But many times it does. And I want us to look at that today, and I want you to think about your own life, and, and what do we learn about those pivotal moments, and how do we make sure that we respond to those moments as the followers of Christ in faith instead of fear. I will tell you, when God presents those pivotal moments, it will require faith. It will not be a simple, easy decision that just goes, oh, wow, that was so easy. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be hard. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy decision, but it's critical because the consequences have significance for years. Um, oh, I've got to look at a map. We've got to look at a map. Would you... I, I want you to understand the Bible in a chronological sense, and that's what we're doing. I hope you're following. I hope you don't... I hope some of your ADHD doesn't kick in over the, this year. Can ever? Can we pass out medicine? At, no, that's, you can't do that at church. Okay, just to, no, okay, no, okay, so we're not going to pass out medicine. Take your medicine, okay? Uh, I want you to see it chronologically, but I also want you, if you're so inclined, to see it geographically. And so the children of Israel have come from the south, and actually they've come from Egypt, and they've gone into the Sinai or the Arabian Peninsula, and they've come up, and there's, there's, a, there's an oasis. <laughs> I don't even know that it's a town called Kadesh Barnea, and it is at the edge of the wilderness as you get into the promised land, in the land of Canaan, and, uh, oh, I don't have time to talk about this, but actually what Moses says is, is it's an 11-day journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Wow. Sometimes you understand 11 days turns into 40 years. That always struck me that it was an 11-day journey. But, but they, they get to Kadesh Barnea, and there is a decision made as they are on the brink of entering into the promised land. Uh, they have erected the tabernacle. The cloud by day, the fire by night has led them to this point. <laughs> if you ever wondered, how did we get here? Well, the cloud hovered over the tabernacle. And when the cloud lifted, I mean, Moses, he bowed on intelligence scale with Daryl Smith, maybe. You know, it's like, okay, I don't know when we're supposed to go. But when the cloud lifts, God said, let's pack it up. And then the cloud would begin to move. I mean, that's a pretty simple life, isn't it? Just follow the cloud. Cloud by day, fire by night. And they end up, some months later, uh, in Kadesh Barnea, And they decide to send representatives from the 12 tribes into the land of Canaan as spies on a reconnaissance mission. Think about this with me. 12 tribes of Israel, very distinct tribes. The land's going to be divided according to these tribes. And Moses said, we're going to take a man 
from each one of these 12 tribes. And we're going to send those 12 men into the land to scout it out. See what kind of land it is. God said it was a land that flows with milk and honey. I want you to get this scene. 12 men are going to go in. They're going to spend 40 days there. They're going to bring fruit back from the land. We're going to see their report here in just a minute. Think about with me what was God's intention for that moment. God said, okay, you don't want to go in blind? That's fine. Let me get a, a, a representative, a leader from each one of your tribes. Now, see what he was doing? I'm going to trust Brother Joe because he's from my people. He's from my tribe. And if Brother Joe comes back and says, yeah, listen, it's a good land. Let's go up and take it. Then I'm going to be inclined. Maybe if it was somebody from another tribe, eh, not so much. Twelve men, they go in. They are given the responsibility and the influence of coming back with a report. And what was God's intent for those men to come back? And they'll report it here in just a minute. No, it is. It's just as God said. But as leaders of influence and responsibility, they were to look at the people in the eye and say, now it is time. God has led us to this point. We have seen the miracles and the hand of God to get us to this point, which is about, uh, oh, it's a, a year and some months since they've left Egypt. We have seen the hand of God. And if God has led us to this place, let us go up and take the land. That was God's intent. But notice their report in Numbers chapter 13, Numbers 13, verse 25. Numbers 13, 25. We have several verses to read this morning. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. It's that phrase, a land that flows with milk and honey. That was God's description at the burning bush, Exodus 3, 8, the first time he talked to Moses, I'm taking you out of Egypt, I'm bringing you to a land that flows with milk and honey. Uh, according to my research, 15 times in this story of Moses, this time period, the land is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land. And at this point in the story, you say, man, they're, they're there. They're going to respond in faith and they're going to go up and take the land. Until we come to the next verse and the first word when they are giving the report. And mine says, nevertheless. I've been a part of these conversations. And the conversation goes down 
And something's going to happen here in the group dynamics. I guarantee if the leaders of those 12 tribes had looked at those people, two and a half million people, and said, here we go. No, it's just like God said. God's going to do this. Here we go. The people would have rallied, and they would have gone. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. That's their first description. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the the descendants of Anak there. That's a statement of fact. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Minority report, verse 30. Then Caleb, make a note, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. I need to call just a time out. What we're going to see in the story of the 12 spies, there were 10 that said, mm, can't do it. There were two, make a mental note, Caleb of the tribe of Judah and Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim. Caleb and Joshua. Caleb gives the minority report here and says, we can do it. God can do it. But the men who had gone up with him, verse 31, said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, and here they went from statements of fact to exaggeration. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. In a critical moment, when the report is given, they move from faith to fear. Faith would have pleased God in this moment, that the people would have said, God, we, <laughs> it seems insurmountable, but God, if this is what you called us to do, we will go and we will do it. That would have been faith. And nothing pleases and brings glory to God more than faith. But fear came upon them and replaced their faith. And fear denies the power of God. Please understand that the words that they expressed, and, and we go to the next chapter, they're going to complain, and they're going to contend with, with their leadership, Moses and Aaron. Let me tell you, Their gripe was not with Moses and Aaron. Their gripe was against God. Really what they were saying is God is not able to do this. And their physical eyes look at their circumstances and fear overcomes their faith. And they complain. Notice with me 
Numbers 14, 6 through 10. So we pick up the story. They've complained. They've said it would have been better for us to die in Egypt, to die in this wilderness, than to get to this point and be obliterated by these giants that are going to squish us like grasshoppers. Verse 6. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Only fear the people of the north, nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. That's... Uh, trash talk. We're going to eat them like lunch. We're going to eat their lunch. Eat them like lunch. Anyhow, that's my, that's what literally the Hebrew says here. Not exactly, but anyhow, Daryl Smith. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Oh, we got ugly. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Hmm. <laughs> Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. (laughs) I don't know exactly what that looked like, but God began to show up. But they had chosen fear over faith. If there's kind of one thing, I'm going to talk for another 20 minutes, but if there's one thing I really want you to know, if you're about to check out, listen to this and then check out, okay? There were indications before this episode that they were going to respond in this way. They had an opportunity. I mean, I think Joshua and Caleb made as passionate a plea to the people. They still had a chance after the majority report had been given to respond to God and say, no, we have to do this. If they would have stepped back and thought, what are we going to do from here? Think about this. Think about their circumstances. They fled Egypt. They can't go back there. They're living in a wilderness in which God is providing them food every day and Moses is having to hit rocks with a stick to get water. You can't sustain that. But there is a land that flows with milk and honey. If you will by faith go up and take it. If they would have thought of their circumstances, they would have said, we cannot stay here. We have no choice. We can't go back. We have to go forward regardless of what it cost us. We have to. It was their moment. But there were indications in the story. And I I traced these out and I put them on your reference sheet today. Because there is this pattern of complaining and contentions in the story of these years in the wilderness. I, I, I found 12 of them. Actually, interestingly enough, there are seven of these episodes before this one, which is the eighth. And there's four more after that, which is another point I'll have to get to. It starts at the Red Sea. I don't have time to go through all of them. You you look at them. 
God, that cloud leads them, but trapped by the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are coming upon them. And they begin to complain and contend with leadership and say, Why have you brought us here? What does, and here's the thing that strikes me about it. And, you know, there's times that the water's bitter at Mara, and there's times there's no water. And there's times we get sick of the bread and we want some meat and God sends quail. You know, whatever it is. The thing that strikes me in all these stories, the 12 that I can trace, God shows his power every time. (laughs) They get trapped by the Red Sea. Oh, God says, well, let me just show you what I'm about to do right here. We'll just open up a sea. You've never seen this, the likes of this before. They complain about being hungry and God sends them manna. You realize for a, almost a year and a half, God had just laid bread on their table. They had to go pick it up. They had watched Moses strike the rock with a stick and, rock, and water came out when they were thirsty. Every time God, when they complained and contended, God demonstrated his power. And what was the point? God said, I want you to see that whatever circumstance you find yourself in, when I bring you to that point, I have the power to take you through that. Seven times they had complained and they had contended and God had showed his power. Boom, boom, boom. And they come to this one. But this one's bigger than the rest of them. Will you go up and take a land? that I've promised you that flows with milk and honey. And they don't. You know why? Because in all of those little small episodes, they didn't learn their lesson, which was the power of God to see you through. Seven times. The irony of the story to me, I don't even have time to camp out here. There's four more episodes after this. You know what they gripe about? Life in the wilderness. This is a pitiful place. I don't have any water. I don't like this food. This is not a good place for us to be. Daryl Smith would have thrown a hissy fit if I were God. That's why I'm one of the reasons I'm not. I'm thinking, thank you, Brother David. I'm thinking, you in the wilderness because you chose to be in the wilderness. What are you griping about? This is what you chose because you didn't have enough. That was just Daryl Smith. mm. We don't have time to talk about that. You see, there were indications that brought this point that they had not learned their lesson in life. And here's what I realize. Really, if there's one thing I would tell you, How do we make sure in our lives that we seize those pivotal moments for positive instead of negative? I would say this to you. Make sure you are faithful in the small things. Last week we talked about God is into the details. And I ask you, think about what is it in my life that Maybe it's small in many respects that God said, no, you got to deal with this. In action and attitude, whatever it is. They were not prepared for the big moment because they had not been faithful in the small moments. 
You see, being faithful in the small things leads us to being faithful in the big things. We don't always know when those big things are coming. Do what God has called you to do regardless if it seems insignificant because it is setting a pattern in your life when you come to those big critical moments. You will seize it by faith and not succumb to fear. You will learn to trust God. And they never did. And there were consequences. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. They said, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt or to die in this wilderness. Oh, that's what you want? That's what you're going to get. Slow death over 40 years. All of you are going to be taken out. You're not going into the promised land. Verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, tribe of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the tribe of Ephraim, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, that's everyone under 20 years of age, whom you said would be victims, they did not have responsibility and they did not have roles of leadership or the influence, I will bring in And they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And your sons, um, those under 20, shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. And bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses, I don't know how many times God can use carcass in one passage, but he does. A lot. Until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years. And you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do this. So all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall be consumed and there they shall die. At the start of the book of Numbers, All the men 20 years of age and older are numbered. This is the start of the book of Numbers. There's a little over 600,000 with the exception of the tribe of Levi. A little over 600,000. 
God said every one of those is going to die. All of you. 20 years of age, you had a responsibility. Even if you weren't one of the 12 spies, you had the responsibility to stand up and say, no, we have to. I don't care what the majority says. We have to go with the minority on this. We cannot. All of you, 20 years of age, are responsible. And therefore, you will pay not one for one, but one for 365 for every day that you passed through the land and you saw that it was good, but fear began to take over your heart. Mm. You'll pay for that by a year. It becomes the lost generations condemned to die a death, a slow death in the wilderness over 40 years. Except for Caleb and Joshua. I want you to get this picture when we come, and you don't know this, but I'm painting this picture for you. The end of numbers, that 40 years passes. We come within months of that. At the end of numbers, they take a census again. Do you know why they take a census? To make sure everybody who was 20 years of age and older 40 years ago is dead and they number them again you know how many people there are I know you don't I'm going to tell you just over 600,000 they started with over 600,000 plus the Levites those really two generations that are above 20 three generations whatever they they all die and they number just over 600,000 the picture I get is it's a completely different group. Except for those who were un- younger than 20, but most of the people that come to the, to the census at the end of Numbers have been born in the wilderness. This is all they've known. And they've heard the stories. But all of those generations that were 20 years of age and older have passed away, they've all died, except, I mean, I'm talking about Aaron has died, Miriam has died. This, you want to know when the ten spies died? Immediately. It's a little harsh. No, God just struck them dead. After they got through with the yeah, yeah, boom, let's just go ahead and eliminate some of the 600,000 right now. The ten that had responsibility and influence, no. Bad report, you're gone. There were some other plagues and some interesting things. If you're sadistic and you like that kind of stuff, then read those chapters. But no, we come to the end and they're all gone. It it is virtually a completely new generation, except for a small percentage of them who were younger than 20, who were there. And maybe, I guess, remembered Egypt. They remembered passing through the Red Sea. They remembered Sinai. They remembered coming to this place. And the people not having faith to go up and take the land. Hey, can I show the map? Peyton, can I show the map one more time? And so what happens after 40 years? Um, they, come, they come around by Moab. And they, they end up in the, the plains of Moab. Uh, east of the, at the top part, the northern end of the Dead Sea. 
They're, they're up in that region after 40 years. A completely new generation. And this is the picture. And I want to end with this. And I'm, I'm going to be finished here <clears throat> shortly. Um, 40 years. Completely new generations. Uh, the only exception. There's three people left. Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. But you know what? I didn't tell you part of the story. Moses gets in trouble with God. He doesn't obey God. And God said, you're not going in either. But we come within a couple months of the 40 years, and there's only three of those generations left. Everybody else is gone. And Moses, the man who writes these first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, first five books of the law. Uh, he, he writes down the book of Deuteronomy. This is, this is a five-minute discussion about one whole long book in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. We're going to cover Deuteronomy here in the next couple minutes. Deutero means second. Nominee, nomos, means law. This is the second law. Deuteronomy is the second time that Moses gave the law. This is what he did. He set them all down. Forty years have passed. I don't know what they remember from Mount Sinai. Most of them didn't, weren't even there. And Moses goes over it again. And he recounts the history. The old man, he's 120. He recounts the history. And he goes over the law again. And he calls them the new generations to make a commitment to follow God with all of their hearts. I'm not going to read the passage, but uh, you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he sets them down on the plains of Moab. And they're about to go in. Moses is not about to go in. And uh, he reminds them of their history. He reminds them of the law. And he asked them to make a commitment uh, as the new generation that they would learn the lessons of those who had gone before them had failed to learn. And there's this incredible... Oh, I'm going to read it. I'm sorry. Sorry. Quickly. Oh, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and death, good and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go in to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And the, com the people commit to do it. And then this closing chapter, I, have to, I want to read all 12 verses. Deuteronomy chapter 34, 
the closing chapter of Moses' life. Surely somebody else had to write. But it says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, capital H, (laughs) I don't know, and God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all of the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all of his servants, and in his, all of his land. And by all that mighty power, and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And the chapter closes. And Moses dies. And only Joshua, Caleb, and the new generations are left. Um, I say all that to say this. There are pivotal moments in our life. You don't always know when they're going to be. The only thing I know to tell you is that be faithful in the small things and God will prepare you for those big moments. Don't expect to be unfaithful in the small things and to seize the day on the big moments. And know that those pivotal moments in life have significant consequences, both positive and negative, and they set the course for our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Um, as you bow your heads, and before I pray, and Brother Shane's going to come and lead us, Byron and I are going to be at the front. Um, I, I don't know what it is in your life. There may be something even from last week of the details that God said, no. You've got to deal with this.
whatever that decision is to make, whatever that issue is in your life, maybe it relates to some circumstance in your life. It may relate to even as Carly following the Lord in baptism or, or giving your life to Christ as she did last year or whether it's about officially joining this church. There are so many other things. Whatever it is that God tells you to do, understand that it has significance. And you have to be faithful in the small things so you'll be prepared for the big things. And so, Father, today we pray that we would give you all of our lives. We acknowledge that you are our life. And, uh, Father, we desire that we would love you with our whole hearts. And so we give you that today in this time, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.